Good morning. And welcome to our Sunday morning service. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Welcome to our Sunday morning service. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation.
warm welcome to our service this morning. Uh, we are really glad that you are with us. It's good that we can come aside each Sunday and consider together the awesome truths of our God, who he is, what he has done for us, and to see the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. And if you're here this morning uh, watching and you don't know Jesus, uh, you can see the amazing love that Jesus has and what he can do for you. As we consider the truth of God and who he is and think about what Jesus has done as Christians, we, as we have been singing, can say that we stand amazed. We are amazed at God's love for us. But perhaps there are times when we're not so amazed, where we lose that view of our amazing God. In the book of Revelation, in the Bible, there was a church who had this problem in a place called Laodicea. They were keeping Jesus at a distance, and they were described as being lukewarm, which God says he found sickening. But Jesus was knocking at their door, offering to come and be with them and bless them. Josh is going to read this for us. It is in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. Revelation 3, 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold or find in the fire, so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. One way that we can think about what Jesus has done and be encouraged and amazed by it is to sing of it. One of the reasons Christians sing is so that we can praise God for what he has done and teach each other what he has done for us. Our next song thinks about the amazing love of God in dying for our sins.
Over the last number of months, we've been spending a lot of time in prayer for health workers in our country. Uh, we have a number of healthcare workers uh, in the membership of our church, and this week I interviewed one of them at dawn to see how we can continue praying for them and also what a difference Jesus makes in the work that she is doing. So, hi, Dawn. Hello. Hello, Steve. You're right. Yep, it's good to see you. And Thank you very uh, much. everyone at church this morning is glad to see your face because uh, we're missing everyone. Uh, so, why don't you just explain for those that don't know you uh, what you do uh, working in the health service? Hello, for those that don't know me, I'm Dawn and I'm a paediatric sister that works in our local hospital in the A&E department. Um, I've worked with children for a number of years now, um, nursing, um, so I'm quite well established uh, with children <laughs> working in the health sector there in the hospital. Okay, well as Christians and in church we've been praying a lot recently for uh, people who work in the health service, especially members of our church like you. Uh, what are the challenges at the moment uh, of being in the health service and, and how can we pray as Christians about those things? Right, well there's, there's lots of challenges and it's very difficult to just narrow it down um, to just a few challenges really. We haven't got all that much time, we haven't got all day. Um, but staffing is still an issue um, in nursing in the hospital because um, a lot of staff are still going off with the coronavirus so they're still going off sick and um, so all the staff are having to um, backfill those shifts and do extra shifts as well so um, I just ask for prayer really for those staff um, to remain healthy for the strength to do the extra shifts and be able to care for the patients that are there um, another challenge that we've got as well which is still ongoing is redeployment as well so a lot of the staff are actually working in other areas that they're not comfortable with, that's outside of their skill set really. Um, I'm one of those people as well. I'm working with the adult nurses in adult um, and the adult teams in A&E. So I've had to upskill with a lot of different things. Um, so it's important as well that the um, staff are supported through prayer um, as they work in these different areas and that they'll get the support that they need from the people around them because it is quite daunting going to a new area when you don't know the staff, you don't know the layout, you don't know the routine. So um, it's important that they're supported in those different areas as well. Um, and the other thing as well um, that's, that's come to mind is a, a lot of the workers that I work with they're so scared of the coronavirus, Steve, that they're scared to take it home. So some of these, um, my colleagues have actually left the home environment, they've got other accommodation, um, and they've actually um, scared to take the virus home. So they've moved out um, away from the loved ones, um, away from the children, because the risk of taking that virus home with them, um, and especially if somebody's vulnerable there. Um, so just pray for those people that they'll have peace um, about this um, and their safety and their well-being as well. Great, so that's helpful for us to be able to pray. Um, now, you're a, a Christian. Uh, we know you as a member of our church. Uh, how is it uh, helpful being a Christian uh, in those challenges that you mentioned and other challenges that you face as a nurse and in your life? Okay, well, um, one thing, Steve, that I'm reminded of is how Jesus frequently um, was with those people who are sick and in need. And I'm, I feel like I'm in such a privileged position and an honoured position to actually 
be in that place to care for those people who are sick or are in need. Um, and it just reminds me what Jesus did, that I can do um, similar things to care for those people. Um, but as a Christian as well, it helps me to um, pray specifically for those challenges um, on a daily basis, to pray for the staff that are there, um, to encourage them, support them when they're feeling stressed, um, when they're feeling scared of what's going on. Um, and it, the one thing that I find difficult to do is that I'm not able to freely talk about what I believe in and why, you know, I feel at peace about working in that environment with the coronavirus um, unless somebody asks me. Um, so that is one difficult thing that I find as a Christian in that environment that I can't really talk about what I believe in. Yeah, I think a lot of us find that in all areas of our life, isn't it? it can be that can be difficult. Yeah. At the moment, as a church, uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and I know you've been listening uh, to those sermons as well. Uh, how has it been helpful to you uh, during these uh, difficult days um, as we've been going through Ephesians? What have you been learning and applying from that? Um, well, the teaching so far has, has really helped me to, um, to have a more intimate understanding and knowledge of God um, and learning to trust him in all the things uh, that we're going through at the moment despite all the uncertainties and, and the things um, that we're, we're all worried about really so it's it's just knowing to trust him really um, it's helped me to have um, to have an identity in Christ and um, to know that I've got um, a part to play in his eternal plan and um, that his plan is so much bigger than what we're actually going through now um, and and that's a good place to be really um, and it's also helped me, Steve, to um, actually know that God is in control of all things, even though we think everything seems to like all haphazard and, you know, out of sync. But I know that I don't need to fear because my future is secure in God, in Christ, no matter what happens to me on this earth. I know that my future is secure. That's great. They're great lessons to be learning. Um, one of the things that you do in the church when we meet normally is to organise uh, the Discoverers Children's Club and I know the children are really missing Discoverers and they're missing seeing you and the other leaders. Uh, have you got anything that you'd like to say to all the children uh, who are missing meeting up uh, with their friends at church and learning together? <laughs> well first I want to say thank you for the little break that I've had of not being able to um, organise Discoverers <laughs> um, but um, for every week basically what we had been learning at Discoverers and um, we've been learning about how everything points to Jesus. And that's an important lesson for all the kids that are listening and watching to learn. And I want to challenge the kids um, through this time of lockdown because they can't meet with their friends. They can't go to school and um, they can't meet their, their normal family, like grandparents or cousins. Um, and, it, and it's hard when they're in lockdown. But I want them to think about how this can point to Jesus. And, and if they can just get hold of a Bible to actually have a look in there and to see if there's any other similar situations um, that Jesus was placed in, how did he respond? And I just want the kids to think about, well, we're in a similar situation in this lockdown. We can't do what we want. But um, how can this point to us to Jesus? And that's what I, I want to challenge them, really. Yeah, that's a great uh, thing to point them to. Uh, we want to be looking to Jesus at all times, don't we? So thank you, Dawn, for taking the time out to speak to us. It's really helpful uh, to get that insight so we can pray for you. Uh, and uh, we're going to do that now uh, as, as a church. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again 
uh, for the healthcare workers in our country and the work that they are doing at the moment during this coronavirus pandemic. We thank you that you have enabled people to have the skills needed to bring help and healing to those in need. And we do pray, as we have been asked to, for the right number of staff, as many are off sick or isolating, and we pray for those who are working in different roles than they are used to, that they would be able to do those tasks. We pray this especially for those like Dawn in our members who have had to change roles, and pray that you would provide the skills they need, but also that they would remain in good health and strength physically and emotionally at this time. We ask this for Dawn, for Atlanta, for Jane Guy, for David Ray, Erwin and Chriselle Martin, Leon and Zoe Ascari, Tom Pickett and Barbara Vroom, and any others as well, we pray that you would help them at this time. We think of how Dawn mentioned that many are scared at this time, and we pray that you would help Christians like them to be witnesses to Jesus at this time as well. May they point in word and deed to the one who has died for sins and risen from the dead, and so brings healing from the greatest of problems, sin and death. We pray that at this time you would help all of us to have joy and peace that comes from knowing Jesus. Help us to grasp how much he loves us, so that with transformed lives we can show that love to each other and our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our next song again helps us to think about the amazing love of Christ. We're going to sing together, Love Divine.
If you would take your Bibles, uh, if you have them with you, and turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to look this morning at verses 14 to 21. Most of us know how to react appropriately in any given situation. So if your team uh, scores a goal or a try in, 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 in sports, uh, jumping and shouting is an appropriate response. Not so in other situations. If you receive some bad news, crying is an appropriate response. If we have an act of Remembrance, usually it's appropriate to be silent. If we want to thank someone, it is appropriate to give applause. But what is the appropriate response to what we have been hearing in Ephesians so far? Remember that this is a letter that Paul has written to Christians. In the first half, which we're coming to an end uh, to this, of this morning, we've been reading of the new identity we have in Christ and of the amazing plan of God in creating the church which we are part of. As we've been studying this, I hope that you have found these truths truly awesome. But what is the appropriate response to these things? Well, Paul the Apostle shows us in the final verses of chapter 3 that the appropriate response is prayer, first of all. Uh, the rest of the book will see the response of how we live, but initially we see the appropriate response is to pray. In Ephesians, we see how deep theology, truth about God and his works, leads to deep prayer and praise of that God. We saw this, in fact, in chapter 1. Paul is led to prayer in that section at the end of chapter 1 by writing of God and his great plan of salvation. Here, we see how the deep and wonderful theology of the church, how we are saved by grace and brought together as a new humanity, leads to prayer again for God's people and praise to our awesome and wonderful God. This prayer of Paul teaches us to pray and pray in the light of these awesome gospel truths of our God. And we see that it teaches us to pray for immeasurably more. So let's read this section together, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, as Paul responds to God's amazing truth in prayer. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do 
immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. When Paul, at the beginning of this prayer, says, for this reason, he's actually continuing where he started in chapter 3, verse 1. Last week, we saw this deviation that Paul makes as he's amazed at what God has done in his life. This prayer is in response to the awesome truth that he has been writing about really since the beginning of the letter. Deep theology leads to deep prayer as we pray about what we have heard. And this passage teaches us how to pray these truths that we've been learning home for one another. We see four aspects of prayer in the light of this awesome truth. We see here who Paul prays to. We see two things that Paul prays for. And then at the end, we see what Paul prays with. So who Paul prays to, two things that Paul prays for, and something that Paul prays with. And first of all, who Paul prays to is the glorious Father. Paul here is kneeling for prayer, which while for us is a posture that is associated with prayer, was unusual for Jewish people at the time. The Jewish people normally stood to pray. We see this today if you see pictures of the Western or the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, where people there, Jewish people, stand to pray towards that wall. Kneeling was and is a posture of deep reverence or humility and of desperation. The God he is praying to is not someone to treat lightly or flippantly. This is Almighty God. And yet at the same time, Paul describes God as the Father. And this Father is the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul is showing how all peoples, all families in heaven and those on earth are from God. And I think the reason that Paul is doing this, the reason it's important, is to show how God is the father of both Jewish families and Gentile families. So no matter where you are from, we can say that God is our father. And that's important because earlier on in the letter, Paul is showing the amazing work that God has done in bringing Jewish people and non-Jewish people together as a new humanity. This new humanity describes God as our Father. Now, when God is described as a Father, what you picture may depend on your own Father and on your own experience. And sadly, sometimes that is a bad or negative experience. But God is a perfect father, everything a father should be. Notice two truths about God as father from the book of Ephesians. First of all, we see that God is a loving father. Notice in chapter 1 and verse 3 that God is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he has blessed us. 
That blessing is in calling us to be in his family. He wants us to be part of his family. And his love is demonstrated most clearly in sending his son Jesus to die in our place for our sins. He is a loving father, demonstrating that love in the most loving act imaginable. But in Ephesians, we also see here a second aspect of God as father. Look at verse 16 of our passage this morning. Paul prays, out of his glorious riches. So God is a loving father, but also God is a rich father. And this means that he is a father that is able to provide for all of our needs. He's not a God who really wishes he could help us, but's not able to. No, he's rather a God who loves us and can and does help us in our times of need and works for the good of all of his children out of his glorious riches. This is exactly the same teaching that our Lord Jesus Christ gives us about prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, when he teaches his disciples to pray, it begins, Our Father in heaven. The name Father speaks of the intimacy that we have with him. He's a father. And in heaven speaks of his position and his power as almighty God. It is helpful for us as we pray to think of God in this way as our father. He's not a tyrant. He's not distant somewhere out there. He wants to help us as is shown by his love for us. And he is able to help us as shown by his power and glorious riches. Well, love and power are themes in this prayer of Paul's. He has two requests for the Ephesian Christians, and of which we should be praying for each other, in which power and love are important aspects. Each of these two prayer requests begins with, and you can see it in our verses this morning, I pray that, and we find them in verses 16 and 17. So this is what Paul prays for. And the first request is for growing of the presence of Christ. Paul prays that God would strengthen you with power. We have seen before in, uh, in chapter 1 verse 19 that his power is at work in us who believe. So Paul is praying God's power would literally put strength into us. Well, how does God do this? It is through his spirit in your inner being. The inner being is our spiritual life, similar to what we shall see is our heart. It is the part of us which really only God can see, our attitudes, thoughts, affections, and so on. So Paul wants that part of us to be strengthened. How we live externally is a reflection of what goes on in the inner being. So much in our world is, is based on the externals. But here, Paul wants us to be changed from the inside out. But why does this inner part of us need strengthening? Well, Paul tells us, he says, so that, or the reason I want the inner being strengthened 
Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul prays for Christ to dwell in our hearts. Now, there is a sense in which Christ lives in all Christians all the time by his Spirit. That happens when we become Christians. He comes to live in us. But the meaning here is not asking that an absent Christ would come and live in us, but rather the meaning of dwell means to settle down. An illustration, I think, would help us to understand this. Just imagine that you purchased a new home that was dilapidated. It needs a whole work of renovation. So the roof is leaking. It needs redecorating. The garden needs landscaping. It needs a new kitchen and so on. It needs totally gutting and rebuilding. When you buy the home, that home doesn't reflect you very much. It perhaps doesn't even feel like home. So you start working on it. You start with the major stuff that needs doing, so you, you fix the leaks. Uh, then you start when all of those major works are done to start to decorate. And then you start to beautify your home so that eventually that home looks like a house that you would live in. It starts to reflect who you are. And the result is a little bit like the old TV show, uh, Through the Keyhole. Uh, some of you may remember that show where uh, a man called Lloyd Grossman used to go around the house with a camera and then he would say, who lives in a house like this? And then the panelists on the show would have to guess. Well, when someone asks that of a Christian, the answer is Jesus lives here. And so over time, he's making us more and more like him as he's working in us. That is what Jesus is doing, and that is what Paul is praying for. When Christ moves into us, he finds someone who has just been dead in sins and looks a mess. But over time, he settles down in the home, and he begins to fix it, to decorate it, and to beautify it, to reflect who he is. What Paul prays for is that we would be strengthened by his power so that this work keeps going. Because after all, we have to admit it's a big job, right? The point is to pray that in our lives, God would be working powerfully in us so that we would look more and more like Jesus. Getting rid of the rubbish and putting in the new and the good parts. This is talked about in other parts of the New Testament. So uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, we read of God working in us. He, Paul writes, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly, or the inner man, we are being renewed day by day. And then in Revelation 3 in the church at Laodicea, a lukewarm church is encouraged to welcome Jesus in, to do a work in them and to bless them. So we read there, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. How do we welcome Jesus in? Well, Paul tells us in our verses this morning, through faith. That means as we trust in Jesus, believing that his word is true and obeying it, 
He will change us from the inside out. But we can't do this on our own. It's a painful process at times. And so we pray for God's power to strengthen us. And as we pray, God works through our prayers and gives us what we need to live for him and look like him. A renovation project can be a lot of work and it can be painful. It can be easy just to give up. And so we need motivation. And this motivation is seen in the next thing Paul prays for. He prays for grasping of the love of Christ. Paul's prayer is for us to grasp the love of Christ. And it's assuming that we are, as he says, rooted and grounded in that love. There are two metaphors at the end of verse 17. He says that we would be rooted. And rooted is a botanical metaphor. A plant or a tree has roots that are deep in the soil from which its nutriment is drawn. The quality of the fruit or the flower of the plant or the tree depends on the quality of the soil and the depth of the root. And grounded is an architectural metaphor. A building has foundations that are deep and they provide strength for the building to stand. And the point Paul is making is this. He wants us to reflect Jesus as Jesus comes and lives in us and dwells in us. And if we're going to reflect Jesus with the fruit of what that looks like in our lives, then the root has to be deep in the soil of the love of Christ. And if we're going to stand firm when that renovation project is going on, and it is difficult for us, then we need to be grounded deep in the love of Christ. Well, what does that look like? How can we be rooted and grounded Well, that is exactly why Paul prays that we can grasp this love. And as we grasp it, we become more and more rooted and grounded in it. And as we become more rooted and grounded in it, we become more and more like Jesus. And again, we need power from God to do this. And so Paul prays that all of us as Christians would be able, uh, as he says in these verses, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Do you notice that at the end of verse 18? To grasp means to take possession of it or to make it your own. It's more than just knowing about it, but it's taking hold of it so that you can see it closely. Uh, Recently in our family, we bought a trampoline for our garden, which... Uh, I read and I found is 12 feet in diameter. Now, I don't understand feet very well, so I just went by what the picture looked like on the internet site that we got it from. But when we received the trampoline and we started to put it together in our garden, I found that 12 feet was way bigger than I expected it to be. It hardly fits It only just managed to squeeze in to our garden. It was only when I got hold of the trampoline and put it together and took possession of it, grasped it, if you like, that I understood its size. 
That's what Paul's praying for here in regards to the love of Christ. He doesn't want us just to look at a picture of Christ's love or to read about it on the website. He wants us to grasp hold of it so we can experience its dimensions. And as we experience the dimensions, as we grasp hold of it, we will see that it is always far greater than you realized. Paul wants us to grasp the scale of it, the width, the, the length, the height, the depth. Now, the Bible talks in different places about God's love in these dimensional terms. So, for example, we read that God's love is everlasting, which is kind of the length. Uh, Psalm 103 verse 11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. In Micah chapter 7 and verse 19, we read of our sins being hurled into the depths of the sea. But the big point Paul is making here is that we are to grasp the dimensions of it. And we do this by contemplating it, by thinking of Christ, by reading of him in Scripture, by singing of him, by seeing him at work in the world and in the lives of others, by talking of him often. Often we are so busy grasping after so many things in life, but what we should be grasping more than anything else is the dimensions of the great love of Christ. Once I'd built my trampoline, I knew its dimensions. I could see it, get used to it. It was 12 feet. But the love of Christ is not like that because it's something we will never fully grasp. The paradox is seen in verse 19. Paul says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. A love that surpasses knowledge does not mean that you cannot know anything about it. If you were to, to be sent off for a year exploring the Grand Canyon, you may get to know that Grand Canyon pretty well. But you couldn't really claim to know all of it and everything about it because it's so vast. Now, you could say, I know it, I know the Grand Canyon, you could take us around, but you wouldn't know all of it. Now, theoretically, you, I suppose you could, if you were around long enough, know all of the Grand Canyon, but not so with the love of Christ. It is eternal. And so the point here is not you can never know it because it's beyond knowledge, but rather keep exploring it and there will always be more to explore. So you can claim to know the love of Christ, but your knowledge of it will never be exhaustive. And that just shows how vast the love of Christ is. And as we grasp it and explore it more and more, something wonderful happens. Verse 19 ends, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. If you picture yourself as the house that Christ is dwelling in, as you grasp God's love for you, it will fill you more and more so that you begin to look more and more like Jesus. Now this verse doesn't mean that all of the fullness of God will be in you so that you will be God, but rather you will be filled 
to the measure or to the brim of God. Uh, one way perhaps that, that might be helpful to understand this verse is that if you had a, a bottle and you went to the sea and you filled up the bottle with water from the sea, you could say that that bottle was filled to the measure with the sea. Not that all of the, the sea is in the bottle. The sea is far too big to fit in a bottle, like God is far too great to, to, to fit in one of us. But we can be filled by God and are filled by God more and more as we grasp his love for us. A person who is full of God is someone who is dominated by him, controlled by God, reflects God. And this is something all Christians should be longing for. It is something we should all be praying for one another. It is the work that God is doing in us day by day as Christians. Now these are big requests that Paul prays for. But then Ephesians is a letter that is full of big plans that God has. We've seen those in chapters 1 to 3. And so Paul ends this section of Ephesians with this doxology of praise to this amazing God that he's been writing about in chapters 1 to 3. In verse 20 and 21, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we, we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, we've seen who Paul prays to, the glorious Father. And we've seen the two things that Paul prays for. But in this doxology, we see what Paul prays with. And what he prays with is great expectations. Now, this verse is often misused out of the context that it is in. Often we look at these words and think, well, God is able to do far above what I can ask or imagine. So uh, I, I need a new car. Perhaps if I pray for an old banger, I might get a Ferrari. But what Paul is doing is praising God for what he is doing in chapters 1 to 3, which is beyond what any person could ask or imagine, which is God's great plan of salvation. We have seen that God has chosen us, rescued us, enlightened us, and made us heirs. We have seen how we can know God and experience his blessings. We have seen how God is powerfully at work within us with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We have seen how God has saved us by amazing grace from death to life and has prepared good works for us to do. We have seen how God did the unimaginable work of destroying the walls that separated people groups and has made one new humanity. We have seen how amazing it is that we should be part of this great plan of God, the greatest artist's greatest work. That is beyond what we could ask or imagine. Now, God does care about all areas of our lives both the big and the small. We're taught to pray for daily bread, and we do need to pray for those things. But we need to pray with bigger horizons than just those things. 
we can imagine most of what we pray for because they are tangible things that we ask for. But what is beyond imagining is that we would be a suitable dwelling place for Jesus and we would look like him. What is beyond imagining is the completion of the work that we have read about in Ephesians. And what we should desire more than anything else is to be like Jesus. And friends, I can tell you that a Ferrari falling from the sky into my driveway would be far less of a miracle and far more imaginable than me being like Jesus, even close to perfectly in my thoughts and words and deeds. And we should be longing for Jesus far more than anything else. That God has done and continues to do that which is beyond what we ask or imagine is really important to bear in mind as we come to chapters 4 to 6. Because in those chapters, we begin to see practically what this means to live out the new identity that we have in Christ. What Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith looks like. And as we look at those chapters, it will at times seem unimaginable that we could live like this. But we can pray and live with great expectations that our glorious Father, out of his glorious riches, will provide all that we need and will complete the work of making us a holy dwelling for Jesus. So as we pray, we pray with great expectations because God is going to finish this plan that he has put in place. And as God works in us, all the glory is ascribed to him. Paul is ascribing glory here. He says, to him be glory. And amazingly, this glory of God is seen in two places, in the church and in Christ Jesus. Now later, we will see Paul speak of the church and Jesus as a bride and groom. But we see something of that here, in that God's glory is seen in us as the church and in Jesus Christ. And this glory being of God being seen through the church and through Jesus will be seen and continue in every generation, including the church of our generation, which currently is in lockdown. And it will continue for all eternity. The church and Jesus Christ will always be the display of the glory of God to the whole cosmos in all the heavenly realms and everywhere else. What an awesome prayer that Paul prays here. And may this prayer of Paul be our prayer and encourage us in our prayer lives for one another. Perhaps there is some listening today who have heard these words and are thinking, well, I'm not part of this great plan. I have no uh, concept of the love of God for me. Well, if that is you, then let me encourage you to get involved in this great plan of God by asking him to save you from your sins by his grace. 
You can find out more about this on our church website. There's a link there called, What is Christianity? Let me encourage you to click on that link and find out what Jesus has done for you. Alternatively, you can call us or email us, and we'd love to engage with you about our wonderful Savior, Jesus. Well, as we close our service, we are going to attempt to grasp just a bit more the dimensions of God's love as we sing about it in the hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us.
see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Praise his name.